You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Alrighty, if we can find our seats, but remain standing if we can. Okay. Today's passage is from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Um, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. you. may be seated. This is the word of God. We're getting there. I know it sounds too liturgical to uh, <laughs> the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Guys, let's pray together. God of grace, we want to welcome you into this, this moment um, just with weeks that can be so busy, and then to, to gather together and try to focus our hearts and minds to what you might want to say to us. And God, as we, we approach today as a, as a special day on the calendar, we come before you with, with grateful hearts and thankful hearts for the many unrecognized uh, ways that you, that you bless us and the many things that you've given us. And on this day, we're especially grateful for the gift of motherhood, of moms, the love and the care and the sacrifice of mothers that they have shown uh, throughout history. And we ask you to, to bless all the mothers in our midst this morning, the mothers in our lives, whether they are biological mothers, adoptive mothers, stepmothers, grandmothers. May they be filled with your grace and strength as they continue to navigate the joys as well as the challenges of raising children in your love. Give them wisdom and patience May they find joy in the moments of laughter and learning and growth that come along with motherhood. Father, at the same time, we also want to remember those who have not been able to have children. Those who've experienced the pain of losing a child. Who knowing what today, uh, that there would be mentioned today that this is Mother's Day, maybe caused them to fight their own emotions even to get here this morning. We ask you to be close to them, to comfort them in their grief, to give them hope, to give them healing. May they find solace in knowing that they are loved and valued by you, that their lives have meaning and purpose beyond the ability to have children. We also want to remember the many women who have served as mothers to, to, to kids and, and to adults in various ways, whether as grandmothers, as aunts, as sisters, as friends, as spiritual parents, may they know how much they are loved and appreciated. And may, they be, may we honor them well for the ways that they have touched our lives and cared for those around us. 
And as we think of ourselves as the historical church, a global church, we pray for the mothers around the world who are facing immense challenges and hardships. We think of mothers who are struggling to provide for their children, mothers who are single parents, who are living in poverty or facing discrimination, and mothers who are raising their children in the midst of conflict and violence. We ask you to be with them, to give them strength, to give them courage, to give them perspective and an understanding of your presence that brings peace and hope like nothing else can. And now, Jesus, as we, as we step into your word, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would want to teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Uh, I do want to say just before I jump into the message this morning that um, after the service to, to, to honor the, the, the moms in the, in the congregation this morning and anyone who just wants to gather around and get a picture, uh, after the service we'll have uh, cor- carnations for, I was going to say a coronation for everybody. So we'll have, you'll all be coronated and you'll all own land in Scotland. No, um, I, don't think I, I don't think I have the right to do that. I don't think. Um, but we'll have carnations for, for uh, all, all the ladies in our midst. And uh, also we have a, a photo uh, booth-like set up outside with some flowers and a bench. And everyone is welcome to take pictures on your own. Or we will also have a photographer taking pics and we can get all of those to you. Let's jump into this morning's message. We've been walking uh, through what are called the Beatitudes. The blessings of Jesus. And if you've been uh, attending here for the last month and a half, you've been, hey, are they trying to teach us something here? We've been reading the same text for five weeks, six weeks. And so our goal is that by the time we are done uh, this section of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, we will have these ingrained in our hearts and minds. Um, These are the words of Jesus basically proclaiming what he would like his kingdom to look like. So if you've come to Jesus at any point in your life and say, yes, I want to align my life with Jesus. I find in Jesus the words of eternal life. I want to turn my life and focus it towards him. Then he says, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what you ought to look like if you're going to live in my kingdom. And so where we've got to so far, getting up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, is that as we come to Jesus, as we come to Jesus aware that we are impoverished without him, that we are, we're broken by our sin and its power over our lives and over the lives of other people, as we live in humility and hunger for more of him, we will find satisfaction for our soul because that is what we were created for. That is the, the way our lives are are meant to aim towards. And so today we focus on verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Not blessed are those who win. Not blessed are those who know how to get revenge. Blessed are those who get justice and put others in their place. We, many today might look at what Jesus says, and Jesus, this is backwards. This isn't, I mean, this isn't what Rambo taught me. Doesn't he, doesn't he just, it looks like he's doing verse 7 in his mind right there, doesn't he? Blessed are the merciful. I was talking to my daughter and she said, well, when do I put these, she, my daughter's running the uh, pictures this morning. And, I, and I, she said, well, when do I put up these pictures? I'm like, well, put up uh, Sylvester Stallone. Who's that? Well, you know, yeah, like Rocky. Never heard of it. Like, <sighs> I, f- I fail you. I failed you. But we'll, get, we'll deal with that this afternoon maybe. Anyway. That's not what Terminator taught me. 
He's not going over the Beatitudes. He's not saying blessed are the merciful. And it's definitely not what Johnny Lawrence taught me. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. <laughs> Has anyone seen the commercials that, that uh, Sensei Kreese has done? That it's Cobra Ko- uh, Koala Kai? And he's all soft instead of sweep the leg. He says, support the leg. Anyway, <laughs> side thing. I think, I think, can you put it back to that? Strike first, strike hard. I think this could be the slogan for all social media platforms. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. That would, they just write that underneath everything. <laughs> all of these beatitudes and, and the, the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, chapters 5, 6, and 7, is all about the gospel, the kingdom of God reaching right inside us and changing the way we think. The word mercy was not a positive thing in Jesus' day. Much like, and some of you have heard me talk about the word humility that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2. Those were not words that you, that you would encourage somebody with. They were ways to insult somebody. You're merciful. What's wrong with you? You're humble. People are going to take advantage of you. When I watched Karate Kid in 1984, you knew who the bad guys were because they said, don't show mercy. And there was something in me that went, that's not right. And there's something in everyone that went, oh, Sensei Kreese is the villain because he says no mercy. You would not have thought that 2,000 years ago. That is something the gospel did to you. Whether, you. whether you believe the gospel, you believe in Jesus or not, that, the idea that mercy is a good thing came from Jesus, came from the early church. It was not a positive thing when Jesus first proclaimed it. If you grew up with an older brother like I did, you used the word mercy very differently. You used it when your arm, you swear it was about to break. Or he had you in a headlock and you're crying out, mercy, mercy. It's associated with being weak. But Jesus says mercy is actually a sign of strength. It's easy to lash out. It's easy these days especially not to lash out. When I often at at a checkout counter, I'll say, how you doing today? And they'll say, oh, can't complain. I'm like, really? Have you not checked social media? There's all sorts of ways to complain. I can show you a few within seconds. Can't complain. (laughs) But, But mercy comes from a position of strength. It comes from a position of identity. So what are the characteristics of mercy? What does it look like? And, and how does it help bring the kingdom of God to the forefront of our lives? Well, this is my big idea this morning. Mercy is an experience of Christ in you, flowing through you, and reframing your view. Mercy is an experience of Christ in you, flowing through you, and reframing your view. So first of all, mercy is Christ in you. It's expressed through you. A, a Christian is something before she does anything. Get that. A Christian is something before she does anything. We must be a Christian before we can act like a Christian. It's a, what I mean by that is it's a natural outflowing of being overtaken by the mercy of God. You're already placed there and now it comes from you. We don't just muster up mercy. If you're a Christian, you should have experienced mercy and understood mercy to be over your life. In other words, Christ in us wants to show mercy through us. Paul says something like this in Galatians 2. He says... Do we have it up there? Yeah. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In other words, I'm not going to try to pull off life, a blessed life, by following rules. I'm going to let Jesus overtake me and consume me, and then I will naturally want to live this kind of life. I'm going to stop fighting mercy, stop fighting against showing grace, and allow what has been done in me to overtake me. Whenever we think of of Christianity as kind of an an add-on in our lives, we will never be the people of mercy. When we, when we think of Christianity as just a coat that we put on, we look through what we're going to wear today. I, mean, I'll wear, yeah, I think I'll wear this today. I think I'll be Christian today. I am going to church. I might as well wear my Christian outfit. But Christianity is not like a, a new coat. It's not, a, it's not a, a fresh paint on an old car. It's an entirely new vehicle with a new driver. <laughs> and you're in the passenger seat. You say, God, where do you want to take me? Jesus, I, I won't sing a country song right now, although I am tempted. <laughs> well, I would have been tempted except it's a country song. So. Mercy is an experience of Christ in us, flowing through, in you, flowing through you and reframing your view. Secondly, mercy naturally flows from your story. Naturally flows from our story if we call ourselves Christians. And this is the argument Jesus makes uh, elsewhere. If you, if you do not show mercy, you have not truly experienced mercy. You have not understood what the gospel is saying about you and what Jesus has done for you. You and I do not understand the extent of the forgiveness that has been offered us if we don't show mercy. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to Peter. It says, Jesus answered him, Simon, Simon Peter, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. One man owed about, if we look at a denarii, a denarii is about a day's wages. So one owed like a month and a half and one owed a, a, a year and a bit, a year and a half. Then he says in verse 47, whoever has been forgiven little loves Little. But those who've been forgiven much, love much. Well, for all of you who, who have visited the gospel, for the, all of you who would call yourselves Christ followers, have a, an understanding of sins being forgiven. Since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Since he who knew no sin became sin for us, for you and I. Since we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive all of our sins. We are all the ones who owe the most. We're all the one in that story who owes the bigger debt. Jesus says, if we do not show mercy, we do not own, understand our own salvation. We don't understand our story. And, and so do we truly belong to him? Does the gospel truly have us in its grips if we can't show mercy? Jesus would question that. So what's your mercy level like? When you watch the news, when you scroll, what's your mercy level like? I would guess it's not high. And I think we, we either will have a mercy level of, from a deep understanding of what Christ has done for us. We will have a complete ignorance of that and just animosity. Or maybe for many of us, we've just become indifferent. We have no feelings whatsoever anymore. We've become sanitized. Are we overtaken 
by mercy. I, I think Jesus would say salvation is never past tense. Our salvation is never past tense. It is your current story. You weren't saved then. You are living in your salvation. The moment our, our forgiveness is thought of as past tense, we will become unmerciful. We live in worship out of and relate from forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. We live in, we worship out of, and we relate from the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. I mean, this is our origin story. I mean, who doesn't love a good origin story? Batman, his parents pass away, but he's wealthy, so he can pretty much do anything he wants. Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, and the radioactive spider. And whenever, you know, when, in any of these movies, when they're coming up against really difficult times, a real challenge, there'll be like a montage, and they think back to it, holding Ben after he's been shot, and being bit by the spider, and Batman losing his parents in a, in a dark alley. Well, our origin story is that our, in our sins, we were buried alive and Christ burst you and I out of the bondage of sin and death through his death. And now you and I are empowered by the earth-shaking power of the resurrection. That's our origin story. That's what we need to think back to whenever we engage with others, whenever we're, we're drawn to the dark side. You and I are welcomed into this story through the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's our origin origin story, and it defines everything that comes after. It's the story we live in. Scripture would say, Jesus would say, that if you and I are not merciful, we've forgotten the most fundamental aspect of our story, that we are forgiven people, that we are forgiven people. Secondly, under that idea of, of it naturally flowing from our story, I would say expressed mercy is a result of experienced mercy. Expressed mercy is a result of experienced mercy. I'll tell you, there's nothing. If you want to become a merciful person, daily come to Christ. Daily come to Christ and say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for, for your forgiveness. Thank you that I get, a, I get to walk in this new story you've invited me to through your life, death, and resurrection. That's how we become merciful people. Continue to visit our story. Expressed mercy is a result of experienced mercy. If we are not merciful, it, we have not been fully convinced of God's mercy towards us. Jesus tells a parable later on in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 18, he tells the parable that many, many will, of us have probably heard of, the unmerciful servant. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety right now. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Jewish belief was that three was it. So Peter thinks that he's about to get a gold star. Seven times? All the disciples are like, oh, brother, Peter again. And Jesus answered, did, it's okay, because Jesus put him in his place. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, nice try, Peter, but 77 times. And then Peter's like, shoes on, he's out, well, sandals on. I guess he could have he still done it. He would have been wearing sandals, so it's all right. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that had been sold uh, to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. This escalates quickly. Began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants, uh, uh, sorry, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Everyone gets a little anxious at the end of that story. Just go, whew, thought it was hot out there. We always have to be careful with parables. This is not a parable about our, our eternal destination. We need to be careful how we, how we interpret and it cannot simply mean that, it, that God's going to all of a sudden be unforgiving to us. That is anti-gospel to think that. If you and I were judged strictly on, on those terms, we would have been out of this game a long time ago. You and I have been unmerciful today several times. We've had unmerciful thoughts. To suggest that it is to, to, this would cancel the entire understanding of grace. We know the verses. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through this life? 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So the parable is not about if you do this, you're done and you're going to suffer. It is a, a parable about being pushed away from the presence of our master. It's, it's teaching us the audacity, the forgetfulness of anyone who lacks mercy in light of the mercy that's been shown us. It's to say, if you are unforgiving, you have not truly experienced forgiveness. It's as if that first conversation never happened. If we understand the depths of which Christ dove for each of us to save us. How stained our soul was. How, how deep the hole was that we had dug. How deep the debt was that we owed. If, if we would follow that, that, it would follow that our attitude toward everyone else, even those, maybe especially those who hate us or have harmed us, that ought to be changed in light of what God has forgiven of us. And that is so countercultural. It is so anti-Cobra Kai. It's not very Rambo. It's definitely not Terminator. It's the easiest one to do. He is calling us to display a new humanity brought about Christ who forgives. Mercy naturally ought to flow out of our story. And that comes from a revisiting of our story over and over and over. A revisiting of the fact that we are saved solely by grace. That unlike many other religions, it's not do, do, do. It is done in Jesus' name. You are welcomed and you are forgiven. 
And so we, we, we build our story by revisiting the gospel every morning. More and more repentance will result in more and more mercy. We think repentance is just once we've really hit the wall. <laughs> just a daily breathing in and out. And, and welcoming God's grace into our lives so that it can pour into other people. So mercy naturally flows from our story. And lastly, I would say this. Mercy reframes our view. And this is the hardest one. As Christ is in us and, and flowing through us, mercy reframes our view. So I'm going to do a little, a little test here. It's a vision test this morning. And before we show you anything, I don't want any verbal remarks. I don't want any oohs or ahs or laughs or anything, if you can handle it. But I, what I want, because this will be visceral for some of us, I want you to pay attention to your heart and your mind as I show some different pictures here. Go ahead. I think I did my best. Can you go back to the point number three, sweetheart? Sorry, my daughter up there. <laughs> I know it was probably the hardest on Justin Trudeau. Some of you might not even know some of those people. If any of you pay attention to politics and strong movement of ideologies in the U.S., you may have had a certain feeling as you looked at some of those pictures. People you drastically disagree with. And I think I, think I hit both sides of the aisles fairly well. <laughs> People there who've made decisions that affected your life. And maybe you disagreed with them. People who have opinions you maybe strongly disagree with. So how do we see those who we drastically disagree with? Some we would say are on the side of evil. Are, are pushing evil ideology. Dangerous ideology. Well, when we want to see anything properly, we want, when we want to see any fulfilling example of any of the Beatitudes, we look to Christ. We look to Jesus. So when we look to Jesus, in his moment of a crowd against him, evil overtaking the masses, the moment of Jesus' deepest Suffering. He'd been lied about. He'd been misrepresented. He'd been abused. He'd been harmed, even though he had harmed no one. He lived by the law, but they tried to throw the law at him. Now this raging crowd, lying and cheating, yelling hatred, and literally calling for his death, and laughing at the Son of God, spiritually blind. And now he is nailed to a cross, and he looks on the crowd that, that gave him over to be killed. A modern crowd would probably be taking selfies and, and laughing and saying he's getting what he deserved. And what does it say in Luke 23, 34? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We look at one of the early followers of Jesus in Acts. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, the first recognized martyr of the church. 
He's being killed. He's being stoned to death. He's been misrepresented. He's been unheard. Similar to Christ. Well, the crowd is foaming at the mouth with vitriol and screaming and angry and unreasonable. In Acts 7, 59, it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said that, he had fallen asleep. He died. Now get this, because this is important. He, he, that'll help you remember. Jesus looks out at the crowd. Stephen, look out at the crowd. Screaming at them. And what do they see? They see victims. They don't see enemies. They see victims who are being overpowered by darkness. They see victims who are victims to to Satan and to sin and to death and the kingdom of the world. They're slaves to darkness. They are spiritually blind, victims to lies. And so they're without peace. They're without forgiveness. They're without identity and hope. And so they're throwing it towards Christ. They're throwing it towards Stephen. So how's our vision How's our vision when we see things posted on social media? We, we hear stories and, and ideology that, that our, our faith tells us this is dangerous, this is evil, this is hurtful. Do we look through the anger and go, these are victims that Jesus died to save? Do we have, is, there, is the mercy that's been offered us, is it strong enough to move through us towards these people? They are confused and lost. God, do not hold this sin against them. Show mercy to them. I will confess, that is not my default. And you can pick your topic to anger me, to anger me during the week. I, ideologies that are, that are harmful physically, emotionally, and spiritually, usually harming children and, and women, unnuanced, blind political affiliation, people who harm others to make a buck, people who refer to pets as fur babies, My, my righteous indignation is stoked while my Savior weeps that there are people without hope. That he weeps that they don't know him and they haven't found hope and peace and identity that comes from him. That is what we are called to be. 2 Peter 3.9 says, He is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That is our God and King. That is the kingdom we say we live in if we're Christ followers. Psalm 103 verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Well then, who am I? Who am I to decide I'm going to live out his kingdom in a different way? What kingdom am I living in if I'm being merciless? It's not his kingdom. He's told me what his kingdom looks like. How dare I default to wrath? Ephesians 6:12 says, "For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realms, attacking victims." Oh, how my outlook changes. <laughs> How my my heart can move from frozen to compassionate when I understand that those I would reject, Jesus would make a priority. Blessed, good, 
world transforming and pleasing to God are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. You and I declare our receiving of forgiveness by whether or not we forgive. We declare that we serve a merciful God when we show mercy to others, even in the way we talk about them, even in the way we talk about people in the news, talk about politicians. We declare that we have received mercy when we are people of mercy. Mercy is an experience of Christ in us, flowing through us and reframing our view. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a theologian from the last century, he said this. He said, if I know that I am a debtor to mercy alone, if I know that I am a Christian solely because of that free grace of God, there should be no pride left in me. There should be nothing vindictive. There should be no insisting upon my rights. Rather, as I look out upon others, if there is anything in them that is unworthy or that is a manifestation of sin, I should have a great sorrow for them in my heart. So do you want to experience more of Christ in your life? Do you want to see him at work through you and flow through you and reframe your, your view of others? Maybe we can start right now. Maybe we can start with repentance and a, and a revisit to the mercy and the forgiveness that we've all been shown. You and I. A fact we don't ever graduate from. We never graduate from it. And that's, I don't want to graduate from being forgiven. I don't want to graduate from the wonderful salvation that I've been given. I don't want to graduate from a God who sees and knows and loves me and pursues me. Who would want to go past that? We live in it. We live in it here and now, and we express it through lives of mercy. Let's pray. God, it is my, my prayer for each of us this morning. Each of us who calls you our Savior, our Lord, our Prince of Peace. You would remind us that we were aliens before you brought us into your family. That we were without hope until you put hope into our lives. That we were debtors until you paid the debt. That we were wandering until you gave us refuge. That we were unable to find solid ground until you gave us a firm foundation and a rock to stand on. As we, we pass through this, even this last week in our minds, we are so thankful you're a God of grace. We're so thankful that you are a God of mercy. Who although you know, you know our our. You know our sin more than anyone else ever could. You love us deeper than anyone else ever could. That's something we, we have a hard time comprehending. So God, it's my prayer that as we think through this past week, we think through the things that we've been holding on to, that we have been unrepentant about as we come before you now. We're reminded if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive our sins. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. For the sins we're aware of, for the sins we haven't even paid attention to, we thank you that your blood covers them all. Your mercy and your grace covers it all. And so as we leave this place, may we allow 
you alive in us to overtake us, to control us, to renew our hearts and minds, to flow out of us so that we see the world differently. We see the world for what it is, lost without you, hopeless without you. And may we be ministers, as you've invited us, to be ministers of this gospel that cries out to those who are victims of sin and death, who are victims of darkness. May we not simply speak of your hope and your love and your peace. May we animate it. May we live it out in this church and in this community this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.